I mean, the sermon, not the <laughs> not the cricket. All right, we're in Revelation 21. Just get my man at the back there to flick my slide on. There we go. Revelation chapter number 21. And we're going to read from verse number 9. And we're going to get to to verse 27. Revelation 21, verse number 9. We'll just read verse 9 and 10 to open with, I think, and then we'll uh, expand upon it as we go, uh, just for the sake of, of time. Revelation 21, verse 9. The word of God says this, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the last, or full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. We'll continue because it's God's word, so let's continue. (laughs) Having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even a jasper stone as clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, and the twelve gates, and the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, with the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, the north three gates, the south three gates, and the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square and the length as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall was of jasper. Then the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth the topaz, the tenth the chrysoprases, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth in Amsterdam, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple in there, or therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth, they bring their glory and honour unto it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night therein. And they shall bring the glory and honour of the nations into it. And there shall no wise enter into anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. I think once you start reading the book of Revelation, 
out loud. It's very hard to stop. Because it's such a powerful, powerful book. You mean, all God's word is inspired. We talked about that this morning. But I think particularly when, when the book of Revelation is, is read, because I talked about this this morning, that you know, in early church life, in our life, we should have this inaugurated eschatology. That is that, yes, this is yet to come. This is the not yet for us. But it is coming. And we need to take what is coming and, and bring it and make it part of our worship and our witness and our life. That he is coming again. You know, we sing those hymns. Thank you, Jesus. You're coming back again. Like it's... <laughs> There's a disconnect, isn't there? From singing it. And living it. When you read the book of Revelation, there's such power in it. I think I've told you before, there, there was a guy um, who's memorized the entirety of the book of Revelation. And, he, and this is kind of his ministry. Where he'll go and he'll just, um, from memory, right from chapter number one, start to read. And he'll read it. And it's spellbinding. This continuation. Because it it's, you know, it's a letter from Christ ultimately to his people. Of all ages. But tonight we're going to look at what is the new city. We looked at last time, if you remember, we were welcome to the new. This specifically, we want to have a look at this new city. And, you know, even as you read this, it's just without eyes of faith, this must seem like madness. But for the born again, regenerate believer, this is not madness. This is magnificent. There's majesty in this building. And that's what we want to start with. We want to start with simply the sight of the new city. And in verse number 9 to 11, we have these verses where it, it really talks about this beautiful city having the glory of God, holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, verse 10. It says in verse 9, you know, that it's the, uh, the bride, the lamb's wife, and some people are saying, well, the church is not the bride of Christ. It's the new Jerusalem is the bride of Christ. And I think while there's a truism in the fact that the new Jerusalem is the bride of Christ, it's not the recognized bride of Christ in the body of Christ, but it does represent at this point very much so. The church is very associated with the new heavens and the new earth. Israel very much associated with the Kingdom that's ignore, ignore, uh, sorry, inaugurated on earth. But the church is very heavenly people. And a lot of that is tied into the New Jerusalem. We're going to have a look at that a little bit later on. But you know, John 14, the new city, the New Jerusalem that's coming down from heaven that has the glory of God is, is a, a, a revealing of what God or Christ told us about in John 14. Behold, I go and prepare a place for you. And I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also. What is he really talking about? The place that's being prepared. The many mansions. It's the new city. It's the new Jerusalem that's going to come down from heaven. And as I've said to you, I absolutely believe that the sun, the moon, the stars in the stellar system are, are done away with. Their purpose has been served. And now we have... Uh, God's dwelling place, the third heaven, coming to meet the first heaven, our dwelling place, and the connector between the two is this 
uh, magnificent city, the New Jerusalem. Literally, it is us and God together. Fraternity. It's beautiful, beautiful uh, times to come. Verse 11 of chapter 21 tells us that this city having the glory of God, her light was like unto a stone most precious, even a jasper stone clear as crystal. So there's an absolute preciousness to this glory, but there's a purity to the glory, clear as crystal. We've talked about these stones before in the book of Revelation. And, you know, that's the jasper stone being clear as crystal. It's the same that is seen around the scene of the throne of heaven. Revelation chapter number four, if you can remember how long ago that was. There's a purity here. Why? Because it's ultimate holiness. And at this point, at this point, there is not a sin in sight. How beautiful is that? There is no sin. None. Try and imagine that. It's impossible. Because your sinful mind will start making you think things. (laughs) But nothing. This is creation as it was meant to be. God with man and man with God and no separation between the two. In fact, connection between the two centered in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see this as we go on. So the, the city is, is a sight to behold. Not only is it a sight to behold in terms of its, its beauty, but when you look at the structure of the city, let's pick up in verse 12. It says, had a wall great and high, 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels. Again, the number 12 is not coincidental. Um, you can, you can look into this yourself. You know, there's not accidental why it's 12 tribes of Israel, why it's 12 apostles. So the number of perfect governmental authority. So this is just picturing this perfectness of the authority of God and the presence of God. These 12 gates had the names thereon, which are names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel on the east gates and three gates, on the north three gates, the south three gates, and the west three gates. And the wall had 12 foundations, and again you have the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So you have these foundational truths of the revelation of God's word. How we, you know, we go through scripture, we see Israel, elect, chosen as a light of the world. Then we see the church, birthed by what? The apostles, all connected in here in this final manifestation of God's presence, a permanent manifestation of his presence. Wonderful, wonderful. And it's hard to imagine, really, what it's like. But what we're seeing here is these four, four sides, three on each side. Again, that's how the children of Israel, the tribes of Israel were broken up. Fours. Three fours? No. Yes. Is it three fours? Yeah. What's three fours? Twelve? Yes, I'm all right. Back in there. Recovered. They used to march in these three sets. You look at Ezekiel and others, and we've looked at the, the faces of the, the cherubim and the seraphim. All this language is pointing us to this, this place that we get to. So we have this structure. Off the back of this structure, we're going to have a look at the size of it. So you've got this... Certainly at the base level, you have four sides to it. And there's three gates on each side. And we're going to have a look at these, the, the, the pearly gates that we often talk about. But 
We need to think about the size of the place here. Look at verse 15. It says, And he talked with me, he had a golden ring, to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lies four square. So again, we know it has four sides. And the length was as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. So there's a question about the shape of the city. Again, look in the commentaries. People, people are split in, in terms of what they believe. Some take it to be pyramidal in, in, in its shape. So we have the base, and then obviously we have the pyramid for, for sides. So Ironside, uh, Walford, you know, respect the commentators. They'll take that um, and, and say that it's a pyramid. They say this because of verse 17, this little, the awkward bit about the low wall that comes in here. Verse 17, he measured the wall thereof, 144 cubits, according to the measure of the man, that is of the angel. Others think it's a cube. Personally, I think it's a cube as well. Um, different reasons for that. I think that's what the language points us to, number one. Uh, number two... Um, when you look at the, the different the pictures between the pyramidal shape and really its association, not with anything particularly godly, but more pagan, pagan all the way through. And then you think about God's dwelling place in the tabernacle. So you, in the tabernacle, you have the two compartments. You have the holy uh, place, which is um, rectangular in nature. You get into the holy of holies, and it's a, it's a cube. The measurements are, are, are cubed. So I think when we get to this, that absolutely it's it's a Cuban shape. Again, these are not things worth falling out over, but certainly uh, this is what uh, we think. And certainly the size of it, let's have a look. There you go. So that's a kind of, give or take, a representation of what that would look like if you plunked it on the earth. 1,500 miles tall. Here's from another. This is if the base was placed over America. Huge. Huge. This is quite the structure. Quite the structure. We looked at Diana's temple this morning, didn't we? <laughs> There's nothing in the world compares to this. Nothing ever will. It's absolutely massive. I mean, look at it. Let's go back again. Huge. Absolutely huge. Absolutely huge. Plenty of room for us all. So the size of the place is absolutely, absolutely massive. The splendor of it. Let's have a look at these stones. Verse 18. And the building of the wall was of jasper. The city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall oh, my back is running down. the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. So the imagery here. You've got all these stones. Let me let me go through these stones uh, with you and then we'll 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 come back, we'll circle back and, and pick out a little interesting detail about these stones. But the colours that are on display here, let me let me flag this up for you. Hopefully I've got this on my there we go. So this is somebody who has took the colours of these stones and, and layered them. So what have you got? You've got 
Jasper, sorry, that's verse 19. That's the first foundation was Jasper, Sapphire, the second, third, Chalstoni, fourth, an emerald, fifth, Sardonyx, sixth, Sardius, seventh, Crystallite, the eighth, Beryl, the ninth, the Topaz, the tenth, the Chrysoprasis, the eleventh, the Jacinth, the twelfth, an Amstead. So you've got these precious stones. Jasper, clear crystal, sapphire is a blue stone, chalstone probably greenish blue, emeralds green, you've got white in there, you've got red, um, green, you know, all these magnificent colours. And do you know what? I feel like a fraud putting stuff like this up here. Because whatever image is put up pales into comparison to what it's, what it's actually going to look like. I have not seen, ear has not heard, the things that the Lord has prepared for those that love him. We've no idea. But what I can tell you about these stones, these semi-precious stones, is that, number one, God is a God of beauty and majesty and creative brilliance. And this place is going to be a place of radiance. But when you're thinking about precious stones, you're thinking about precious jewels. If I was to say to you, name me one of the most precious stones on the earth, what would you say? Diamond, right? If you're wanting the lovely ring, ladies, diamond is the way to go. You know, you can have an onyx if you want. You're going to want it, you know, let's be honest. But it doesn't appear here. It doesn't appear here. Rubies. Doesn't appear. Doesn't appear. There's a very specific list of stones, of 12 stones here. And here's the interesting thing. I I find this fascinating. And, you know, people say, oh, this is just coincidence. John must have just happened upon these and wrote these stones out. You know that science didn't work out for hundreds of years after this was written, and I mean hundreds of years after this was written, that certain stones, precious stones, whenever you pass uh, weight, uh, you know, pure light, polarized light through it, some stones, isotropic stones, will refract and radiate colors, colors of the rainbow particularly. And some precious stones don't. So there's a list. Every single one of these precious stones has that isotropic quality. Every single one. You go and look at this internet, science repeats this, you can repeat this experiment. So when pure light, not polluted light, pure light, the light we have, the light we see, it's all polluted. Pure light. Now, the new heavens and the new earth is a place of pure light, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. But when that light bangs off these stones, the colours it produces are rainbow in nature. Diamond doesn't do it. Rubies don't do it. Each and every one of these does. What am I saying to you, church? I'm saying that our God of majesty and beauty has, 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 has revealed this to John and he's written all these stones and in every one of these stones that makes up the foundations of the wall of the city, as the glory of God shines upon it, it reflects the rainbow of God. What is the rainbow? It's God's promise. What's the new heaven and the earth? It's the revelation, it's the revealing, it's the realization of God's promise. 
You stick a layer of diamond in there, it doesn't do that. But each and every one of these stones does. You tell me, how did John know that to write that? He didn't know that. The Spirit of God moves him and he writes about what he sees. But God knew that. How did God knew that? Because he created it. Any science, true science, repeatable, observable science, is just a realisation of what God's done. He's the one that made it all. No diamonds, no rubies, just these stones that show the radiance. What does that tell me about the new heaven and the earth? What does that tell me about God? It tells me that God is absolutely more interested in radiance than he is in riches. And picture that is for the believer. We're not about riches. We should be about the radiance of God. God's promises. His person. And the position we have in him, like I said this morning. This is a city of immense size. It's a city of immense splendor. The structure is is beyond us. And we don't have the time to go looking at all these things and looking at the pearly gates. Just know that if you're saved, one day you'll walk through those pearly gates. It's beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And the gates in the entrance are open all day because there is no night. There is no night. I'm going to move on quickly and look at the saviour of the new city. Look at verse 22. Revelation 21. It says, And saw no temple there in. No temple? Surely this is a new Jerusalem. Surely... God had a temple in the Old Testament economy. It's the tabernacle. And it's Solomon's temple. And then Zerubbabel's temple. When the church is on earth, we are the body of God. We're the dwelling place of the Shekinah glory. Why no temple here? Question. Go back to the garden. Any mention of a temple in the garden? No. Why? No sin. Okay. When God dwelt in the temple on earth, he dwelt in a very specific portion, right? The Holy of Holies. And how many people could go into the Holy of Holies? How often? And how did he go in? Good, good students. How was he able to go in once a year, the high priest? What had to happen first? Sacrifice. He had to go in under the blood only once a year. Because it was a holy place. So you think about it. In the entirety of the earth, God manifested his presence in a little cubic box. Holy of holies. Where nobody could go because of the power and the presence of the holiness of God. In the garden before the fall, God's holy presence was everywhere. There was no little box because it wasn't a sin-filled world. 
It was perfect. It was good as God created it. And God walked with man. That was his original plan. Sin came in. The separation happens. And the world, as the battlefield in place of God, or of the enemy, God is contained not by, he's not, he's not bigger than that, but the fact is everywhere else is spoiled, full of sin. When we get to this point, sin is gone. We've come back to the garden. We've come back to the place where God is with his people and his people are with him without sin or spot or blemish. The temple is no longer needed. It's back to how God intended it to be. No temple. Why? For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Just like it was in the garden. What a place. Because of the presence of God, the the glory of God and the holiness of God in this place without uh, temple walls and boxed in that no man can look upon. Each and every person in this new city can look upon God honestly, openly and freely. Because we are like him. We're glorified. No longer, like I said this morning, as Isaiah goes, Oh, woe unto me, I'm a man of unclean lips. We'll not even be able to think like that. No unclean will exist. Scriptures go on to say, The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of the God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Where's this bring us back to? This brings us back to creation, the beginning, to eternity. One of the things that atheists think they're clever when they say, well, you know, where did the light come from? How did God see what he was doing before he made the light? (laughs) Such a humanistic way of thinking. God is light. Pure light. He radiates light. And in the new heavens and the new earth, there's no need for the temple. God is not closed in this box. The Shekinah glory of presence is not hemmed in by the sin of man, but is free. And the glory of it lights everything else. I just can't, I can't think what that would truly be like. All I can do is say what the scripture says. To know that the new heaven and the new earth has the glory of God and it's the glory of God that lights the place. We don't need the sun. We don't need the moon. We just need him. And his brightness never dims. The gates don't need to be shut because there's no night and day. This is eternity. And our little minds, we can't think out of finite things. We're created beings, beginning and end. We always think in those terms. And the minute we try to think out of those terms, our minds pop because we're finite. But what I will say to you, this place is absolutely magnificent. Let's move on. Verse 24. Let's see the society of the new city. I wonder how many S's I can get out of this. We'll see. Verse 24. 
It says, the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, the kings of the earth to bring their glory and honor into it. The gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring glory and honor of the nations unto it. And there shall no wise enter into into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abominations or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. The word nations there, verse 24, really references the, the Gentiles particularly references the saved Gentiles, the non-Jews that will be in the new city. Because this new city is going to be made up of saved Israelites. It's going to be made up of uh, the church, obviously. It's going to be made up of those that are not Jewish, but predated the church. Any examples? Who do we think that might be? Anybody from Scripture? Yeah, Abraham. Who else? Yeah, no. no, he was Jewish. Before, yeah, right. Before, 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 Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel. Before that, Gentiles, really. In the scheme of things, in the scheme of things. What about Nahum or Naaman? Sorry, Rahab, Ruth. Enoch? Nebuchadnezzar? No. <laughs> what do you think, JJ? No? Is he in? Or not? Yeah, I think so. Oh, it's a confident, confident there. He's definitely... Well, we get to the pearly gates and he's not there. You owe me a tenner. We'll do a tenner on it, right? dear. Uh, but yeah, so you've got, you've got all this. Who are the kings of the earth? Takes us back to Revelation chapter number one. What I do know is that Christ rules and reigns for an eternity. It's only the saved that, you know, this little tongue in cheek where it says, There are no wise enter in anything that defileth. So it's tongue in cheek because there is nothing that can defileth. But it's just talking about this realized promise of this eternal state. That what happened in the garden, remember, we go back to the garden, we go back to the beginning. What happened to the perfect good? place that God had created and the environment and the society he created with Adam and Eve, something that came in that defiled. Sin came in. The great tempter came in, pride, sin, all in Adam have sinned. This time round, there's no chance of it. There's no chance of it. No sinners only, and this is the truth, this is an exclusive club, whether we like it or not, verse 27, and there shall in no wise, not in any way, enter into anything that defileth, neither whatsoever work or abomination or maketh lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. That takes us back to Revelation uh, chapter uh, number 20, when we had a look at the great white throne and what went on there. Bottom line, your your your. Um, name's not written in the Lamb's book of life then you've no place in this perfect state so what am I saying about this new city I'm saying that it's a sight to behold the structure of it is magnificent the size of it is monstrous 
The splendor of it is majestic. The Savior is the centerpiece of it. He lights it all. And the society is completely sin-free. Worshipping God. Praising God. Recognizing his rule and his reign for an eternity. For an eternity. This is what lies ahead for us, folks. If you know the Lord is your Savior. You may be looking at this going, this just seems like absolute bonkers. You're a pile of crazy people. Do you know what? I would have thought the same. I'd have been right there with you. Until the Lord Jesus Christ brought my spirit alive. It's only people that are spirit filled that can see the truth of what God has for us. And when we see it, we cannot unsee it. And when we see it, we should long for it. But also know that until the time when we're called to the new city, there's work to be done in this old world. This is not a place of perfection. It's not a place of sinlessness. Far from it. It's not a place where God is visible to all and all can look upon him. It's not a place of light, pure light. It's a place of darkness. It's a place where the God of this world has blinded the eyes of those who don't believe. But the truth is that the gospel, the gospel truth can change that, change our destinies, change our destination, give us a ticket for what lies ahead for an eternity. But we've got to tell people about it. It'd be so easy just to sit here and go, do you know what? I know what lies ahead of me. I'm going to sit here until the Lord takes me. Why don't we start a commune? Why don't we start just... Switch off from the world, step out of it, step away, and just wait for God to take us where he promised. Because this is a battle. And we have a high and hard calling to share the truth. And to be ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. Not only is the power of God unto salvation, it's the power of God to change our lives, to change where we're heading, and to do all this that we might enter into these truths. Folks, the new is coming. There's a new city coming. I wonder, I wonder, are you going to be a citizen? Are you going to be a citizen? I wonder if the Lord will challenge you tonight to think about these things. Commit your ways on to him, to know him as your saviour and your Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what lies ahead for us as believers. Lord, the city that is measured out is indeed a real city. It's not a, an imaginary place with imaginary me- measurements and imaginary foundations. This was something real that John was seeing. And it's something that we will see one day if we know you as our saviour. But Lord, until that day, I pray you would help us, as we spoke about this morning, to 
make sure that our eschatology, our view about the end times, about these things, is impacting how we live today in hope and in peace and in grace from God, to know that you have all things in your hands, that you are restoring all things unto yourself, that one day we will truly be with you forever, and that never again will anything that defiles break the relationship between God and his people. Lord, I can't thank you enough for your grace. can't thank you enough for the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, without you stepping in, none of this would be possible. Nothing that we could do in and of ourselves could ever bring us to the place that we've read about tonight. But I thank you, the entry to the new city simply through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like in the Old Testament economy, entry into the Holy of Holies was through the shed blood of the animal. But it was a one-day pass. Your blood isn't a one-day pass. It's an eternity pass. We thank you, Lord, for Calvary's cross. Again, I pray for anyone here that doesn't know you as Savior, that they would let your spirit touch their hearts. Come and see the goodness and glory of God. Lord, I pray for our teens that are up the stairs. Pray for the teachers that they would be able to minister to them, teach them and show them the way Lord we want each and every one that comes into this building to ultimately become a citizen of the new heaven and the new earth so Lord help us in our witness help us in our evangelism help us in everything that we need to do what we're called to do now before the great day of eternity